Happy Memorial Day, everyone. What are you doing in there, Brian? Steve moved all my playlists last week, so it jumped into uh, into this other thing. Okay, well, we can't condemn Steve too much because he did a lovely job eradicating a lot of the noise and hiss that we were getting on feedback on the camera. So, But beyond that, no, I'm so glad that you're here because... It is Memorial Day. It is a holiday. And who else do I want to spend my holiday with but you, Brian? He's not talking. I'm, I'm not talking anymore. He, he's not talking. That's two compliments that she's given me today, and I got one in recording. Oh, so. well, okay. I'm in trouble. But, and joining us today, you all know it's always a very special treat when we have live guests here, is the fabulous Jamie Slater. Hi. The creator of a web series that you're going to hear all about called Travel Boobs. And yes, the double entendre is there. Indeed. How could you not have boobs in the title? And especially when we have three women who are traveling. Yes. A la la Bob Hope on a road trip, no less. Indeed. Yes. Yes. You are the female Bob and Bing and Dorothy. That is so true. And who better to bring up on, on Memorial Day than the quintessential... Bob Hope. His birthday was just yesterday. Happy birthday, Bob. And of course, when you think of Memorial Day, Veterans Day, you always think of Bob Hope and his USO shows. You do. You do. Yeah. So, but you're on your own road adventure. (laughs) (laughs) In more ways than one. In more ways than one. But in addition to Jamie today, calling in, I'm so excited because I have three incredible filmmakers. Jamie is here, and then calling in first today will be Michael David Lynch. And most of you will remember Michael. He was just here a couple months ago talking about his comedy, Dependence Day. And now he's back with a totally different film, a documentary called Victor Walk, uh, that is based on a story and a campaign that former Calgary Flames hockey player Theo Fleury has embarked upon. So we're going to hear all about that. And then in the second half of the show, we've got filmmakers Kevin Good and Jenna St. John to talk about their narrative feature, a first feature directorial for Kevin. We got a lot of, like for Michael, this is his first documentary. This is what, your first or second web series? First First web series. Well, that I've done myself. I've been in other things. I know you've been in things, but this, you created this. Yeah. So I'm going to have three of you, you know, interacting about the creative process for three very distinct projects. That's, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's always exciting. Yeah. That's always exciting, especially when I can bring all, all you talented people together. So, and, you know, the audience is going to get to hear all about these lovely things. So, but yeah, Kevin and Jenna will be here with Dinner with the Alchemist. And that also is premiering at Dances with Films next week, along with Mike, this week or next week, I'm not sure what the premiere dates for each are, along with Michael's Victor Walk. So, and then of course, LA Film Festival starts on June 1st. It's a big, it's a big, do you like film festivals? Um, You know what? I do. I think there's a lot of, a lot of great um, films and, and, talent discovered there and and i always like seeing something new and fresh and and um just new ideas i think i think it's just such a great outlet for that and this is the the inaugural year at la film festival for indie web series it's really exciting this is a new thing that they are embarking on keeping up with the changes in the various media that mediums that are out there yeah things are going in a, a a new direction now. I feel like everything's so web centric and it's, it's great because it gives a lot of people opportunities to express themselves and create their own content mm-hmm. and, and try new yeah. things that might not necessarily ever see the light of day. So that's, yeah, that's just it. And I've already seen some of the web series that are in competition. Have you? I have. Okay. One of them I'm not real fond of. I will say that I'm not real fond of it. It will not make the must see festival, the 22nd annual must see festival films list come midnight tomorrow night. Um, the other one 
is just, it's a hoot and a holler. Oh, good. And very, and you get a lot of laughs, but there's a lot of messaging involved in there as well. Um, that one will make the 22nd annual Must See Festival Films column. Well, there you go. And I have to say, if Travel Boobs were at LA Film Festival, it would definitely be making my must-see festival oh, film. Oh, thank you. It is hilarious. So let's start talking about travel boobs. Oh, wait, wait. I, I, we must digress for a moment for the all-important Star Wars countdown. Brian wasn't here last week. Oh, I heard about this. Yes. Oh, this, this. You heard about it around town, right? Yeah. People were talking about it? Around town, yeah. Yeah. People are excited about it's, my countdown. It's in the ether. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I wasn't here last week, so I was pretty bummed out that I wasn't able to give the countdown. But for Star Wars Episode Eight, we have 563 days, 12 hours, 53 minutes, and as soon as I'm done with the sentence, 40 seconds to go until that releases. That seems like a long time to go for me, at least. But I was going to hold my breath. We have Star Wars Rogue One coming out this year. <laughs> That's in 199 days, 12 hours, and 53 minutes to go. So, How many seconds? Oh, oh, well, 20. Uh, when I'm done speaking, about right. I'm lying. Not yet. No. Okay. Wait, are you clocking this? Or is there, is there like a... I have a timer. You have a, ti- a, a timer, a literal timer. Wow. You, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. And then I have the rogue one. Hey. That is impressive. <laughs> that is dedication. Yeah, I'm good to go. You, you are. I wake up and look at this every morning. And That's then- good. Hope for a better it's day. nice to know we have somebody leading the charge, isn't it? Yes, somebody's got to do it. Why? Why not, Brian? Did 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 you really think I was joking about the Star Wars countdown? No, no, I I didn't. I just didn't know if like he had a, a little calendar mapped out. Uh oh, no. What? I have a band writing a song about me in he Star does. Wars now. Do you? Because of my countdown dedication. That's really exciting. Good for you. L.A. River, L.A. River. Nick Crawl, one of the one of the main uh, songwriters with the band. Is at, he is legitimately writing a song for Brian about his Star Wars countdown. How does it make you feel, Brian? Let's interview you for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's talk to Brian for a minute. You know, you didn't turn the, you didn't turn the mic up. I feel like I've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to stay, everybody. Remember the name, Brian. What a momentous day! Yeah, and, you know, and of course, now that we brought up your song in L.A. River, you know, everybody go to L.A. River Music and get sneak peeks of what's going to be coming out on their album later this summer. And they're going to be back. They've already been here. They're going to be back oh, very again. Cool. We have repeat customers. It's good. Get to know people, hang out. You we, know. we get repeat customers. You know, Michael today is already yeah. a repeat customer. Next week, Michael Wexler is a repeat customer, as is Ned Airbar. Ned Airbar, another director, will be joining us again next week. Of course, I'm also his executive producer on some projects, so he has no choice. Well, there's uh, obligation then. It, it's duty. but a Duty, yes. But you are here today out of absolute joy over this this project you have created travel boobs so tell us all i know what's running through most of the minds of many of the people out there i know it's not porn that's is, right is that, is that what you were thinking i know that most of them are thinking that <laughs> do, do you know when i was setting up my uh, llc at the bank they we had to go through this whole process and the poor banker was like i'm really really sorry but to get to the next screen i have to ask you this question and then, like very sheepishly, he's like, "Is this is this an, a, an adult an entertainment company?" And I was like, "Yes, yes, it is. I'm I'm he- no, no, no." But it's funny now because anytime I go into the bank, they're like, "Travel boobs." Oh, How can you forget a name like that? That's uh, that is so true. But yeah, it's it's not porn. It's it's a play on words, but. Uh, you know, how how can you not have boobs in a title that has three girls that suck at life that are just completely inept? I mean... And they're really inept even driving in cars. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, where did the idea... Is this based on a personal experience? Kind of. So the inspiration came from a road trip that I was on and... um was a girlfriend and I that went to a, a wedding, and um, we kind of just took things for granted. We didn't bother checking the weather. We just, you know, whatever was offered in terms of where to stay and what to do, we did it. Okay, wait a minute. A girl from Michigan goes out on the road in a car and doesn't bother to check the weather. 
it was, you know, no, it was okay. But in my defense, uh, I, I feel like Kai, who you will all soon to <laughs> soon uh, get to know and love. Um, she's she's a little spaced out. Um, no, it's it was. I kind of took for granted that it's California. I didn't the 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 wedding was in Northern California during the summer, so I was thinking California, warm, great, and and the bride was like, you guys, it's so beautiful, it's like Hawaii, and so we we were thinking, okay, sundresses and bikinis, and you know, it's on the water, and great. No, no, we got up there and it was fifty degrees and raining, and the entire weekend we had to wear everything we owned, and we looked like homeless people. It was. <laughs> It was so bad. It was so bad. And and then the hotel we stayed in was just a, a name given to us. Didn't bother looking that up either. So um, my friend and I go into the room, and it's two twin beds pushed together with one heart-shaped headboard. And oh, my. Yeah, so that was romantic. Um, and then the bathroom was even better. There was a uh, a mini fridge and a coffee maker right next to the toilet. So, okay, well, that could be very handy. Uh, you know what? That was that was a point I made myself. So while one of us is handling their morning constitution, you, the other can receive a cup of coffee and a banana in the shower. But, you know, often <laughs> you've been out drinking the night before and you've got a hangover, just open the refrigerator door and get the ice out for your head. Well, there's that. Uh, I don't know that the fridge was cold enough oh, to maintain okay. an ice-like state for anything. Yeah. But, um, so, it, yeah, it was kind of one of those weekends where you just, you know... You're like, what else? What else could happen? The wedding itself was lovely, by the way. It was so beautiful. But um, please tell me you did not look like homeless people at the wedding. No, no, okay, no, we did right. not. We just looked. We looked really cute, but super frozen. Okay, so it was one of those things where we were literally huddled on top of each other because it was an outdoor wedding, and I was in like a short sleeveless dress. So we were like, you know, in a pile trying to stay warm. Um, again, my fault. I didn't check the weather. What are you going to do? But. But so these these kind of antics led into the thought of, you know, you couldn't really make this up. And I was like, wait a minute, or or could you? And I did. And how long between the wedding and creating travel boobs? What kind of time span before you finally put pen to paper, started talking to your collaborators about oh, bringing this to life? A couple of days. Like All I, right. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, because I, my, the wheels were spinning on the drive home, and which we proceeded to end up taking a much longer route because Siri was having us avoid traffic, which actually just added hours and hours. We went way out of the way, so yeah. So I had time to think, and um, yeah, and so pen to paper was literally two days later because I was I was ruminating and talking about it. And I, was like, mm-hmm. nah, I think I have to do this. It's funny. I, 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 it makes me laugh in my head. So. Let's see what happens. Now, did you see it as a web series or just getting the idea down and then trying to figure out where you would go with it after that? Yeah, it was more of just fleshing it out and seeing mm-hmm. what's there and, and kind of mining and cultivating whatever was percolating in my head. And, um, you know, I, I felt like this was something that needed to be, you know, episodic, whether it was mm-hmm. a web series or a TV show or whatever, um, and just because I there are multiple stories to tell and, and right. you know, lots of places you can go with this. You know, and, and lousy motels to stop in every night so every day oh, yeah. can be its own episode. I mean, literally every hour could be its own episode. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, as I said, the one that I saw was you ladies running out of gas. We did. And having an empty gas tank in the trunk of the car. Well, I mean, there's, you know, A for effort in terms of being prepared. Yes, Yes. Yeah. At least they went that far as to remember to bring a, a gas canister. That's true. And of course, my favorite part, though, is, you know, anybody who lived back in the 70s when there was a gas shortage and you had to ration gas and you could only go odd even days to get gas for your cars, um, a lot of people were siphoning gas. And these three lovely girls, your Lily, Kai, and Mel, you actually... Aha, we shall siphon gas from a vehicle we see abandoned over there, but it's not abandoned. No, no. Well, there's there's a lot that that, uh, ends up bringing them in that direction. First, they have to decide... Who's going to go get the gas? And you know, initially, it's it was more about looking for a gas station. Mm-hmm. But when there's an abandoned car waiting for you, there's an opportunity. It's as if fate is saying, "Come hither, come hither." Yes, yes. 
Yes. And hither you ladies go. Yes. <laughs> now, how did you come up with... All right, tell tell Michael he can wait a second. <laughs> Should we bring Michael on now to join in this lovely conversation? Wait, wait, yes, sure, why not? Okay, because you're here for the whole hour. Is this the fabulous Michael David Lynch? Oh, I'm here. Are you there, Michael? I'm here. Hello. How are you? Can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. That means, Brian, turn things up. So I am here. We've got Jamie Slater in studio today, who is her her first time web series is breaking this week. You've got Victor Walk uh, premiering over Dances with Films. This is an exciting first timer day here, but I'm so glad to have you back here again. Oh, I'm happy to be back. It's, it's so great. Well, I mean, this is I got to say that to watching Dependence Day and loving that and the laughs. And the love that you put into making that, and now seeing Victor walk. If this doesn't show a stretch and range of your talents, I don't know what does. This is an, a, an amazing story that you unfold for all of us with Victor Walk. Um, I'm glad you got to. I'm glad you got a chance to see it. Um, uh, Victor Walk was, as you said, a very different uh, uh, project, and. and a whole different love put into it, uh, and uh, being part of something like the Victor Walk, where you know, as you saw in the film, you know, getting to see all the faces and stories behind the epidemic of child sexual abuse, and and to, to humanize and, and and put those faces on it, uh, it really moves you, and um, you know, makes you think. How did this? How did you find this story, Michael? Or did it find well, you? I was, uh, Long story short, I was getting ready to, to write a narrative feature script, uh, and then I decided to do one in hockey, and, and I grew up loving Theo Fleury. Like, I, I knew about Theo my entire life, even played him, you know, on the Sega Genesis, uh, you know, the EA Sports hockey video game. <laughs> and um, I uh, decided to start uh, doing research on, you know, on my hockey script, and so I was watching some Theo videos, and I discovered he had just dropped a book. And that book was called Playing a Fire. And Playing a Fire is basically where Theo came out and revealed to the world that he had been sexually abused by his coach. Um, so I reached out uh, to, you know, to Theo and, and, uh, and his people and um, you know, finally got a chance to meet with them. And, and I originally wrote a narrative uh, mm-hmm. movie about his life. Um, and then uh, he had this documentary. Well, not the documentary, sorry. Then he had this walk going on, the Victor walk. And with everything that we were doing with the script, it just seemed like this Victor walk was now the most important thing to be in his life. It was, you know, obviously hockey is behind him, and, uh, and, and now in front of him he's using his hockey voice to spread awareness. And, and Theo being such a manly man from hockey mm-hmm. gives so many other men who normally wouldn't come forward uh, a voice and a platform to speak. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of how it came together. It was kind of, I, I got a chance to meet Theo in 2011. And, and then uh, when I found out what he was doing in, in uh, 2013, I said, hey, maybe this is something we should try. Um, and we kind of just dove into it. Well, what I find really interesting in watching the documentary is all of the, number one, you, you're going along on this walk, this 250-mile walk with him, and you're filming Theo, but you're also all of these people um, that are coming up to him. And we're not talking just young people that have been sexually abused. We are talking senior citizens in their 60s, 70s that are coming up to him and thanking him and relating their stories. And the fact that not just that they're doing that, but the fact they're letting you capture that on camera. Was that surprising to you? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's I mean, the biggest surprising thing to me uh, would always be how long people had held their secret for and mm-hmm. how many people for the first time were finally sharing it now on this walk um, and the courage that they had to be able to do that, you know, share their stories on this walk. Um, and, and of course, there were, you know, some people who, who did not want to be filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people... 
because of the stigma of people not wanting to talk about child sex abuse, of people wanting to brush it under the rug and not talk about it, I think there's a, a lot of people that feel the way Theo feels, and they're tired of hiding. They're tired of having to keep their head in the sand, and, and they want to have a voice, and they, and they want to have change. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people, you know, this time around did, did come out and, and share because they, they do feel the strength in, in having a voice together, you know, and, uh, you know, it's something that every day, you know, you said, I did the walk. I walked backwards 25 miles a day while they walked forwards. And there was time where my body, Theo's body, the other people who, who did the whole walk, Zorn and Zelich and Kim Charlevoix and, you know, like there, our bodies were destroyed, and the only thing that would keep us going every day is when people would pull over and tell us their story. You know, that would engage us and be like, "Wow, here's here's why we're doing it again." Because sometimes I think when your body aches, you, you know, your body can start telling you, "Oh, you know, you've done too much." Uh, you know, turn it, you know, give up. And uh, when you have these people who would busy open up and tell us their story, it gave us the strength to keep keep going on the walk and I think that's what everyone had is everyone you know finally got a chance to speak up and Theo gave everyone that platform well and something that you smartly did is this isn't just you didn't just film the walk as you put this documentary together you bring in all these other stories you, you all those threads out there Sandusky you have news footage you have the Canadian news footage the legislative common uh, interviews with uh, members of parliament who seem rather befuddled at why anybody would want to change the law up there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's frightening to look at their faces. I mean, you did an amazing job catch, capturing them as they're rather quizzical. They don't know their own statistics. Um, it's kind of like American <laughs> politics. It seems the same everywhere. But you bring in, you know, the story, uh, the news stories and the convictions with Darrell Jackson and Joseph Duncan. Um, and then you bring in the big triumph in America with Jessica's law. How much research did you have to do in order to develop this construct and this this cohesive thread? Um we did a lot of research and tried to tried to scour uh, as much as we could to find out any kind of details uh, about anything regarding this, this subject. And and you know the problem is it, it, it is difficult. You know a funny story I would say in editing was when I was working with Paul Gordon, who's also my producing partner and he's the editor on Victor Walk. Uh, was you know when we first you know the, the, one of the big proponents of Jessica Law is, is Bill O'Reilly and, and Bill O'Reilly though with liberals immediately alienate people. So when we were trying to find other news footage of some more liberal news, it was harder to find. So you know even even you know when you're having the research on paper when you're trying to find certain video evidence uh, uh, and making sure you have enough of. Uh, so one thing we wanted to show with Victor Walk is it's not about you know party affiliation, you know, and it's not about, we didn't even attack religion, we didn't attack politics, you know, in particular, like a particular party, we attacked the issue, I think, of, of the abuse, um, and uh, the, as far as, I think you said mantra, and as far as the mantra, it was a Native American um, mantra that Theo was told when Theo was on his quest of healing, where they said, uh, you know, we talked about the frog, and in Victor Walk we have the, the frog logo of how the frog it doesn't have a neck. The frog can only look to the left and look to the right and move forward, and all of its bones in its body are built to leap forward, not backward. So that's a big part of the victory movement is not to keep you know, going back and, and re-victimizing yourself by reliving the past or, or rolling around in your past, but to, to move forward and to keep growing. Um, and that, that's where uh, that mantra came from and, and where the frog icon and, and why on the shirt, when we wear those orange shirts with the frog, we call the frog Victor the Frog. Oh, I mean, I love the whole frog tie-in, and I, and I really like how you bring that out um, and how Theo talks about that within the documentary. And something you also do is, and I can't, I can't say this enough to people, and everyone has heard me, this is one of my big mantras, sit through the credits. And this is a documentary you really want to sit through the credits because you then have all this information, a beautifully done montage with Theo giving all these websites, organizations where people can go and get help uh, to spread awareness and then 
a lot of common sense things like talking to your politicians, making your voice known, starting petitions. But, you know, kudos to you for adding that after, you know, post credits um, to give and you do it. That's actually shot so dramatically, Michael, so dramatically. And it really hits home when you watch that. Well, that's, you know, that's a big part of what we want to do with this documentary is we really wanted to make sure that, that we could give people the information and, and, and help get people, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is the world premiere, you know, June 7th. Um, but obviously before we got there, we did a lot of small little test screenings, but, but never in the theater, just kind of inviting people over to the house to watch it. And, uh, there's a lot of people who would open up and tell us their stories about, you know, an uncle that did something to someone in their family or, you know, a lot of people end up opening up and either sharing a personal story or a story of someone they know. Um, and, uh, and you know, that's a big part of what we want to do is we want to end the stigma of, of you know, people not having to talk about it and feeling the shame. Mm-hmm. Because shame keeps people quiet. And even the stuff that we have with, you know, the allegations against Bill Cosby and all the allegations against, you know, even Jerry Fogel, he got arrested for it. Mm. But it's like we, we keep seeing in the news people that are having, you know, stuff going on. And and when I first was working with Theo, it was before Jerry Sandusky got caught. And people were telling me, why are you writing a movie about that? No one cares about that. And, you know, right when Jerry Sandusky got caught, someone told me what I was doing was trendy. I'm like, there's nothing trendy about this. <laughs> It's about, it's about the message and about getting the voice out there. And not only about that, but as, as you know, you mentioned the credits, you know, we even have that nice little fun section in the credits where you get to see all the fun that Theo got to have with a lot of the people on the walk. Because mm-hmm. that's another big part of the message, too, is, hey, if, if your first half of your life did get thrown away, you know, you don't have to throw it away the second half. You could live the second half in a full way. And that's hopefully, too, what we want people to take away from this film, this documentary, is that it is uplifting and and inspiring. It's, you know, it's not something that people have to, you know, worry about, oh, is this movie going to make me depressed? It's going to open your eyes to things maybe you didn't know about, but it is going to try to uplift you. It is, uh, it's by no means. uh, Raman and Nick and Chris, they did a phenomenal job, too, with the music, and and we also have music with Theo, because Theo, you Mm -hmm. know, plays music, uh, and his his song is a credit music song, I think, uh, brings a lot of fun to it. Well, this is by no means, you know, a depressing documentary. You really, you know, and something, in, especially in your third act, as, we're get, as you're getting to the end of the walk and you're in Perth and, you know, moving onward from there to your ultimate goal, beautiful, beautiful landscapes, bright blue skies, yellow suns. It's very cathartic. It, it really brings the audience back to the beauty of nature and let you realize there are still beautiful things out there, even when horrible things have happened. Oh, I'll tell you. And, uh, as you saw, you know, uh, in our documentary, since we covered two walks in that, in that dock, uh, yeah. on the second walk, when we got to be on the, the reservation and, and watch some of their Sundance ceremony and, and be a part of nature where I got to see all those horses, it was incredible. It was incredible. You know, it was one thing where I, you know, I'm standing there and I'm looking at Theo and I'm looking at Z and, and I'm, I'm seeing everyone on the Victor Rock team and we're, we're sitting around the ceremony and, uh, you know, I wish my wife was able to be there for that one. You know, she, she, of course, had to work at home. But it was one of those moments where I was like, it, it felt like a completely different place. And, and it does. I think those moments, those moments of nature can really help center you and remember why you're here and, and help ground you and, uh, I think, give you some good reflection for yourself. So what was your learning curve like? Because, you know, you did every, virtually everything yourself on Dependence Day, a narrative, and now here you are approaching an in-the-field documentary. What was that like for you, you know, going from one to the other and that learning curve? Plus, this time you bring Paul Gordon in to do some editing for you. Yeah, that was that was the great part. Was you know we we shot Dependence Day and Victor Walk back to back, and then editing started. Exact me and Paul literally July first started editing the same day. Um, we, luckily, we picture locked Dependence Day sooner, and then once I picture locked Dependence Day, I brought you know Paul moved his editing bay into my house, and then we spent another eight, eight months uh, cutting together. Um, 
but uh, it was great. It was great to have have Paul as as, as an editor on the film, and uh, for me in the field. I'll tell you, it made me feel like I was 17 again. It made me feel like, you know, when I was 17, I was going and I was shooting, you know, highlight videos for sports teams <laughs> or, or concerts, you know, because uh, I was literally, had, I had the audio gear in a, on a pouch. You know, I had a backpack with the batteries, and, and I shot it with lava videos. And then every night I'd have to charge up batteries and dump the footage. So I, I kind of felt like I was 17, where when I was in Canada on the walk, it was, you know, I was a one-man band. <laughs> so it was great to fly to the United States and dump all the footage in Paul's lap and be like, there you go. <laughs> I'll see you when you got a, you know, your first rough cut, and I'm going to go rough cut my movie. And uh, But no jokes aside, it was actually really fun to go back and forth from Dependence Day to Victor Walk because they're so different. Mm-hmm. You know, some people talk about fatigue of, you know, they get tired of their film and they, 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 they don't know if their film's any good or not. You know, when I was walking, you know, the 10 days in Victor Walk, I was too busy surviving to think about what I just shot on Dependence Day. <laughs> I was thinking about surviving in the moment and also wow. finding the story because of, of feeling the weight of the Victor Walk movement sure. of making sure that I'm, I'm telling a good story and that I'm telling a story that, that people will want to hear so the message will get out there. And so when, when I'd be in post in Dependence Day and then take a break and then go into the Victor Walk Bay, it was like I could go fresh into Victor Walk, and then after leaving the Victor Walk Bay, going into Independence Day, you know, it felt fresh. So for me, the way that I am, and, and the, I guess the way that my brain can be pretty, uh, as you saw, neurotic based upon Independence Day, <laughs> which ironically, Independence Day is also playing a dance with film. Yes, know, I realize that day. he's got two films that dances with films this That's year. Incredible! It, it's yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of oh. you. Oh, thank you so much. And it feels so great because it's like they're, you know, they feel like twins to me. Even though the kind of they came out first, you know, they, they kind of they got finished at the same time. So, you know, it feels like I got twins. You know, Dependence Day just got to, you know, break out the great gate early at Cinequest and win a night for awards. <laughs> so now quickly, before I have to let you go, when are both of them screening at Dances with Films? The world premiere of Victor Walk is June 7th. At what time? Do you know? At 2.45 p.m. Two four in the afternoon. I know all of the docs are two forty five p.m. in the afternoon. Okay, well, June seventh is actually a very good day because June seventh, nineteen seventy six, is the day I graduated high school, and I've survived. So it's it's a very good it's a very good release day. And when is Dependence Day screening? Sunday, June twelfth at five p.m. Awesome, and uh, these are all down at the TCL, the Man's Chinese Complex at Hollywood and Highland. Michael, my darling, thank you so much for joining me yet again. No, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm glad you got to check out the film. Oh, my God. And I can't wait for you to come back for your third one. No, oh, me too. I've been, been writing the script and got another one optioned. And, you know, really excited to just uh, get Victor Rock and Dependence Day you know, out there and into distribution after the festival tour and, and get the next one going. Fabulous. Well, I will talk to you soon. Thank you, Michael, so much. Thank you, Debbie. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Michael David Lynch talking about Victor Walk. You were very quiet. Oh, I was I was so intrigued by what he was saying. I I Yeah. <laughs> sorry, it's just it's, Oh no, it's it's to watch the, you know, I have the advantage of having seen the documentary, and it is you're watching this and you see these people. And the fact that here he is shooting this, and these people are—they're—they're ta- they're letting him. They're opening up their yeah. souls. I mean, you see a seventy-some-year-old man talking about being abused when he was six months to a year old, wow. and your heart just breaks. I mean, just absolutely. And you know, to see Michael, to see Dependence Day, and see Victor Walk as night and day. as different as night and day. Yeah, yeah. It would it would be like seeing you go from travel boobs to you know guest starring on Empire, <laughs> right, right. You know how do you, how do you juggle now that you've created travel boobs? You've been in you know intimately involved in that production. Yeah, you know because you're also producer. I, I I'm 
almost everyone on that. Well, yes. yes well, tell, I'm, tell us about being the one-man band. You know, Michael alluded to that on Dependence Day as he was cinematographer, editor, writer, director, producer, a one-man band. Here he gave up some, mm-hmm. you know. So now for you, you're doing everything and hands-on and everything in this web series. Yes. Um, y- yeah, I, I basically like the last six to nine months of my life have been just completely immersed in this. And, you know, I, I was really lucky though, because I did have some great writing partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, we'll give them a shout out, shout out to, uh, Jimmy Bean and Lydell Jackson. Um, and how did you find them? Uh, they're friends of mine. Okay. And it was kind of one of these things where I was like, Hey, I have an idea, you know, just kind of spitballing, what do you think? And they're like, yeah, let's talk about it. So Okay, so they can type and spell and all that kind of stuff. Barely. Barely. But okay. we made it through. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, so, so I, was, I, <laughs> I was really lucky there. And, um, but, you know, it was just, it was kind of one of these things where I conceived of the idea. So it was kind of trying to make sure that what's in my brain made it onto the page, made it onto the screen Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that we were casting people that were actually these characters. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and it was just, yeah, I mean, um, getting into production, I really became, you know, everyone from, you know, stylist to, you know, the craft person to location scout to like, it just, it, it was, you know, and then I'm, I'm frantically rewriting things to fit our locations that we mm-hmm. could find and, and, you know, um, funding. And we, we were really lucky. We, we had some great, um, support through crowdfunding, but then, you know, I had to make that up elsewhere. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it was, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. People don't realize that even for, you know, six or seven minute episodes, five or six of those, it still costs money. Oh my gosh. So much money. It still costs money, even when you're doing so much yourself. And, and, you know, pulling so many favors and freebies and, you know, um, I mean, you know, just so many friend favors and, and, uh, you know, annoying people to give what they can, where they can. And, and I really lucked out with, with a lot of amazing support, but at the same time, you know, it's still super expensive. Yeah. So, you know, just there's insurance and there's, you know, the unions and there is, it's just, yeah, a a very helpful hint that all filmmakers need to be aware of all indie filmmakers, be it for a web series, be it for features, be it for shorts, insurance, insurance, insurance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, uh, months ago we had uh, attorney Brandon Leopoldis on, and that was something Brandon was pointing out to people. To filmmakers, it's, you know, you don't just think about contracts. You don't just think about deals. You've got to think about these basics to cover your butt. The CYA aspect of filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I mean, and especially because we were, for so many of the episodes, literally in the middle of freaking nowhere. So, you know, and and we're like on, you know, a a mountainside or like a hillside or, you know, in this backwards dirt road or, you know, so you just never know. And where we were, there were snakes and coyotes and bugs and you just don't know. And and a lot of the time there was rain, thank God it didn't show on camera, but a lot of it, we were filming in rain. And so, you know, it's just, the accidents are always around the corner. Thank God nothing happened. But But you have to think of those things. Well, who, who do we have? We have Kevin and Jenna. Brian, we have, well, is this Kevin and Jenna? Oh, hi. Can you hear me? Hi, guys. Welcome to Behind the Lens. Jamie's actress, actress, creator, writer, Jamie Slater is also here with me today. Hi there. Hello. She's got uh, a brand new web series that's debuting around. uh, When is yours? Wednesday. This Wednesday. June 1st. June 1st. And you are premiering at Dances with Films on what day? On Friday, June 3rd. June 3rd. And then Michael Lynch was just on, and he's premiering on the 7th and with another film on the 12th that dances with films. Everybody's got stuff coming out in the next 10 days. This is fabulous. And I have to say something fabulous is I Dinner with the Alchemist. This, this is one of the most original, creative films I have seen in a while. The concept of this... 
it is fascinating. Where did the idea come from for this film? Um, the idea came when I went on vacation with my sister to New Orleans in 2011. And there's a lot of mythology in New Orleans, um, a lot of legends, a lot of ghost stories. And we came upon the story of this Jack the Ripper-esque kind of serial killer. Um, and it just seemed a little too strange to be true. And my sister is not into drinking, um, so we spent the rest of our week um, at the New Orleans Library um, in the microfiche just trying to find some evidence of if this, if this actually happened. Um, and it was a little difficult because we didn't know exactly what year it took place. Mm -hmm. um, but then we finally found a police report that backed up the story. Oh, wow. So, oh, and. God. The whole week we were just talking about, like, this could, this can, this sounds like a movie. This doesn't sound like it can actually happen. So the whole plot of the movie kind of spawned in that week. Oh, my God. So this actually is based on a true story. Yes, it is. That's incredible. Okay, you guys should see Jamie's eyes right now. They are just as big <laughs> as can be. Because I've, I've given her a brief background of, of some of the fun elements of the film. Um, and, well, and what I didn't tell her in response to that is that I've kind of always had a, a fascination for the macabre and for kind of, uh, you know, underbelly CD type things. And so this just right. really strikes a chord with me. Well, you know, and so much of what of really what sells Dinner with the Alchemist is, number one, your visuals, your DP, Gus Suda, his, his work is amazing. But you have some standout casting here, guys. I mean, yes, we got super lucky. Dion O'Dane. Yes. Oh, my God. We agree with everything you're saying. I agree completely. Dion O'Dane, who plays Marie, our, you know, our, our voodoo black woman, the requisite in a New Orleans macabre, you know, film. She is, Dion is amazing. Amazing. And you've got Regan Wilson as the Inspector Murphy, the lead uh, police detective, who is. He is so deliciously arrogant and buffoonish. I absolutely love the character. <laughs> That's great. And and then you get the dear Clayton Ferris in there as the smart detective, Inspector Jenkins. You'll like that you called him smart. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Clayton's also smart enough to be, you know, helping you out with publicity on this, too. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is one way to get good publicity, give the guy a part in the film. <laughs> It didn't happen in that order, but yes. So now, when you put the uh, develop a script like this, because there are so many moving parts in this story, you have your alchemist, you have serial killings, you have the local brothel, which is which is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. uh, and the girls who work there, and of course, you know our madam, who turns on a dime with emotions and it's just right. it's delicious to watch but you have so many characters this is not just one or two people and you're going around you know we're not just in one room we're in the brothel we're in the alchemist house we're in marie's voodoo shop we're in you know a home of elite people um upper echelon society who piss and moan a lot um <laughs> how do you Kevin, how do you as a director put together your visual construct for this so that you've got, so the story unfolds cohesively, not just on the page, but visually? Well, I think, I think it is very tough, and it's one of the challenges that we faced with the movie, and actually as it evolved through the edit and stuff, we actually whittled it down quite a bit and focused it a little bit more and focused it on sort of the main trio, which is the alchemist, uh, Marie Laveau, the voodoo priestess, and Mary, the, uh, the orphan. The, or the um, virgin orphan. Let, let's make sure we clarify that. Right. Yes. The, it's virgin very, prostitute orphan. Go because, figure that one because out. Because it's, <laughs> it's very key to the story. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really tough, and a lot of that was working with Jenna on the script. Um, we, were, uh, we were dating when she was developing the script, and we are married now. We got married somewhere mid 
filming this thing uh, right after our, our first block of uh, principal photography. Okay, we got and married. this is this is despite the fact that she's in the film and she plays Abby, one of the ladies working at the brothel. Yes. <laughs> yes okay. Indeed. Just just checking. So, so you know, it took a lot of development in on the script level. Um, we we did sort of some some research, watching some other movies like Paul Thomas Anderson movies that that have those, you know all those different storylines that are all coming tracking mm-hmm. together. But frankly, our movie doesn't quite feel like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So that wasn't the most helpful. And then thinking about other things like, you know, TV shows that do that, you know, the, the wire where it has all these different tiers and levels and all the different parts of society coming together and how they deal with it. Um, so I, I don't have like a, I don't have a straightforward answer to that other than it was a constant challenge. And I think, even past the script level, once we got into editing, we still found it as a challenge, and we had to kind of pare it down a little bit from what we originally had because it was it was actually too much, and the danger there is always just of sort of like losing focus and losing losing people when when you have them you know when when the primary plot line flowing through is working and people want that, then it can just be frustrating to an audience when you cut away and you're on like your 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 H plot for a while and mm-hmm. the viewer is suddenly <laughs> like, wait a second, I don't care about the H, J and I plot. Get me back to the get me back to the main story here. So it was just it was just a, a constant battle. Well and you know, I have to say this is another film that people must stay through the credits because you've got an Easter egg at the end that feeds back to probably your E plot. Exactly. With yeah, the, with the car exactly. with with the Carter boys. So it's yeah. very important and it sets it it's, <laughs> it sets it up beautifully for a sequel as a matter of fact. Well, yes, and that's a whole other beast. <laughs> um, and that leads into a whole other other beast. Um so yeah, if we wanted to develop it further, there is there is plenty of story there. You sound a little hesitant about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, making an indie period piece is um, not something yes. that we would recommend to first time filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. So so enlighten us because you know Jamie is sitting here. She is a first time web series creator and and filmmaker and actress. And I know I, we have a lot of you know, first time, second time filmmakers who are part of the audience for Behind the Lens. So what are the great challenges of doing a period piece first time indie film? Wow. (laughs) Um, The the challenges are everything. So (laughs) Jenna wrote a script that has a huge cast that has tons of locations. It's a period piece. There are elements of supernatural and visual effects. Um, VFX, the the VFX are standout. The, the VFX um, uh, is beautiful. It's Thank just you. it's just the list of everything that they tell you not to do on a on a small indie movie. You know, she just pretty much went down that list and said, "Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that." Um, and and then, you married and her we anyway. Crazy, <laughs> and then we were crazy <laughs> enough to make it. Um, I think if there were a trick to that, I think the trick is that you know it's it's kind of a lie to say that this is my directorial debut. I mean, this is the first feature. Your first feature, but you know, feature, but that's an animal you know, amongst its, unto itself. Yeah. But I've directed a web series and worked on tons of other web series. And I've done uh, so many shorts that I've lost count. And I've uh, DP'd a couple other people's movies. And I've, you know, so the, you know, it's just, it's just building up a lot of experience and building up a really good team behind us. Like, this cast, most of whom we knew prior to the project, like, like Gus Suda, the DP, who I've worked with, I think, for 10 years now. Wow. Um, and so I think the trick really is just to keep on keeping on because you don't just, you don't just decide one day, oh, I want to be a filmmaker, and then you can tackle a project. Truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> Pardon? I said truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> Both in terms of our experience and also our team building and really having a solid group of people along with us, I think um, it just takes, it takes a, lot of, a lot of years to get there. Mm-hmm. Now, be, because some of the visuals are so strong and, and look so, so lush, so gorgeous, it, how did you and Gus go about developing the, the visual tonal bandwidth, especially once you get into your VFX 
the mixing of chemicals or the mixing of herbs, depending on whether Marie's doing it or the alchemist is doing it, absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous montages. Thank you. Um, those are those are interesting because it's. I think it's uh, a little bit of um, the cart following the horse. No, wait, the cart ahead of the. I don't know which expression I'm trying to use. Right Putting now. <laughs> they the cart were, the horse. Um, you know, they were a response to the limitations of working on an indie film, and I think we're actually better for it. So in the script, it wasn't really scripted to have those those sort of hyper-macro alchemy sequences. Mm -hmm. um, there were a couple scenes where we saw Jacques working in his alchemy lab, which turned out to be something that we couldn't afford to put together. Um, oh, darn. So we couldn't ever see, like, the big wide shots of the alchemy lab that were scripted in the film, but we still needed, obviously, we needed the sequences of the alchemy in the film, and we, we, we needed... Um, some visual interludes to kind of get us along through the movie. So I came up with this idea of doing it in just sort of hyper macro because mm -hmm. it's something that we could film in our apartment that was all just set up on our dining room table. And we kind of could do that on our own terms and just sort of set that up when we had a chance and play around with some macro lenses and try to make cool things happen a half an inch away from the lens of the camera. And I think it, it turned out being really beautiful and a really nice sort of visual portion of the movie, but it was absolutely a response to figuring out how to do things um, modestly and do things in it with a sort of indie grit uh, <laughs> mentality. <laughs> well, you know, a, a strong element that a lot of, you know, um, you know, first time feature directors overlook is uh, the music and your music is just, it is perfect. It, perfectly fits the era it fits the mood it fits you know the serial killings you know you've got ominous tones it, it's beautifully constructed and i know it's original score john piscatello did it yeah dad um, did you give yeah, him any we, kind of beats that you were looking for entirely for that um he he was fantastic he worked on it for a while um him and kevin and he came up with the score, and he insisted on having live musicians mm -hmm. um, because a lot of indie indie features they'll do a lot of things in the box or electronically because they do they can imitate um, live instruments pretty well. Um, but he really insisted on the this human element to it that it's never it's never perfect, um, and so he insisted on us hiring live musicians and i think that made that made such a difference mm -hmm. it just brings um, that organic kind of it's just of the world of alchemist also oh, very, know, how, very, how close can a computer ever get to being part of that world mm -hmm. not not that close you know. so so now what school of thought are each of you in the school of voodoo or the school of alchemy <laughs> That is for you to decide. I mean, you the new world or the old world. You gave them each a pretty fair shake in here. I gotta say, <laughs> you know, you didn't you didn't play favorites. So, if we, if we had to pick, I'm the I'm the scientific modernist, and I think Jenna is the one obsessed with uh, with history and, uh, and and world's past. Although we cross over quite a bit, obviously. So, how difficult was casting with this one? To find, the, you know, even though you're, you're tapping into friends, you know, that you've worked with before, but how difficult was it to find the right people, especially finding Dan to play our alchemist? Um, he was super easy to find, ironically, because we had, we had worked with him specifically before. And when he read for the role, he was just so good. It was like purpose built for him. He was just so good that we did not bother to read anyone else, which wow. is just crazy and extraordinary for the title character of a movie with a role that difficult. Um, there are no other roles that that happened for. You know, everyone else, everyone else, you know, got 
got a set of people reading for it at least. Some people, were, it was very hard to find. For our Marie Laveau, we looked at, I think, at least 50 people in person in addition to getting sent, you know, headshots That's and tapes and things. Great. So some of the roles yeah. were very challenging, and then some of them were just kind of worked out serendipitously, like, like Don Estrate as the alchemist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he... It's not, a, it's not an easy fit to find. It's just serendipitous. He's actually uh, Romanian originally, so the accent you hear him with in the movie is it's his, fabulous. It's his native accent. Um, and it's, he's, just such a, he's, just, he's just such a great fit for the movie um, that I, I was astounded. Um, the rest of it was very challenging, mostly because there were just so many roles and... You know, we have we have pretty decent reputations, I think, as producers, and most actors wanted to work with us. But anytime you're doing a really low budget thing, um, people, people get are, nervous. People <laughs> are willing to work with you, but the problem becomes the schedule. They're willing to work with you if your schedule works out with them. And so, with with such a an ambitious piece with such a huge cast, um, trying to figure figure out that schedule puzzle and actually get everybody to show up on the same day together to film was immensely challenging Uh, guys i can't thank you enough for joining me today this has been fascinating this is this is people are going to love this when they see it it dances with films yeah i'm really excited i certainly hope so (laughs) oh good nervous and look at that jamie (laughs) jamie is sitting here and she's actually going to go and check it out at the festival Oh, amazing. Um, introduce yourself, because we can't see your face right now. Okay, yeah. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> later, later this week, you'll get to see it when we get the video out, because we, sh- we do a two-camera shoot for the show, even though it's, it's radio. Uh, oh, great. Yeah, so we'll have that all out. But, yeah, the audio will be out and all of that tonight and tomorrow. But, guys, thank you so, so much. And give the, give the date and time again for the world premiere. It is Friday, June 3rd at 9.30 p.m. Fabulous. Thank you, Kevin and Jenna, so much. Dinner with an Alchemist. Thank you so much, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Okay, Brian's playing with the phone now. So, no, it's definitely worth seeing and to see some some of the performances. But the construct, some of the dialogue, there's some problems with some of the dialogue. Okay. But, you know, other than that, it's interesting to watch this unfold. And I can, I'm not going to tell you beyond what I've already told you about All the right. film. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always very intrigued by things like this. Then you need to see this one. Yeah. You need to see this. So now when can people see Travel Boobs? So we come out this <gasps> Wednesday with the world premiere of our pilot. On June 1st. June 1st, yes. And then we'll... And where, can, where will it be? YouTube. So right, right in your own home. Um, at free? The, free. Whoa. Free, people. Free. Free. And we all know free is good. Free is good. Free, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'd like a lot more things to be free. Oh God, I know, <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, so and then we'll be. Uh, as of right now, I believe we're releasing one a week. Mm-hmm. But um, you never know; that could change. So I'll keep you guys posted. Well, I think one a week is good. That gives you a chance for audience anticipation to build. Well, and there's things that we kind of we've we've recorded some stuff with a cast that we want to release in between, mm-hmm. where we talk about the making of that particular episode. And, um, so you get a, kind of a little glimpse of what things were like in production and, um, and you get to get, meet the, meet the girls or get to know the girls a little bit better, mm-hmm. myself included. And, um, yeah. So, and, and, um, Megan Hain who plays Kai and, and Louise Bond who plays Mel, um, are a hoot. They're a lot of fun, both in character and in character. They're hilarious. Thank you. I'm, I, I so lucked out with my cast. They were amazing to work with and they're amazing on screen and um, just, I, I felt like, you know, it was just shooting, you know, despite some of the elements was like hanging out with your girlfriends yeah. and our, our poor sound guy, because we would forget that we were mic'd and so we're sitting in the car waiting for the next take. And, you know, he heard all kinds of conversations. Uh-oh, somebody's giving us, what, the 30-second countdown, huh? How rude. I I'm know. Just <laughs> I'm just kidding. We get, paid him two compliments today and everything. <gasps> How dare you, Ryan? 
Oh, my God. Jamie, thank you so much for coming in here today. Thank you for having me. This was a blast. Oh, my God. Anytime. You are welcome back anytime. Oh, and we you. And we know Brian wants you to come back again. Well, thank you, Brian. With, with more episodes and, you know, things like that. Yes. I can't wait to see what you think about the rest of them. I am dying, dying. So shame on publicist Michelle for not giving me all six to see. I, I will send you. I will send you. You'll get a, a sneak preview. <laughs> well, and that's all the time we have. This is Debbie Elias. We'll be back next week behind the lens. Thank you.